Okay, so today we're looking at World's Finest Comics number nine, the spring issue from 1943. Superman, Batman, and the Boy Commandos, it boasts. What, was Zatara not popular enough? On the cover, we have Superman, Batman, and Robin all throwing baseballs at the three leaders of World War II, and they're all really good shots. The Axis powers are imprisoned within this big white sign, with their heads sticking out of the top and underneath written, Knock out the Axis with bonds and stamps. On the inside cover, we have this tall, skinny guy with a really big nose sitting in front of a typewriter. He's not typing anything, and there are a bunch of thugs crawling all over the typewriter, aiming guns at Batman and Robin, who are as small as the thugs, so smaller than a piece of paper, and attacking this man at the typewriter with pens and pencils. Batman has a pen, and Robin has a pencil. Is this comic anti-typewriter? So the comic starts out with a neatly engraved invitation. You are cordially invited to attend a literary tea at Mystery Castle, home of Mr. Bramwell B. Bramwell, the famous writer of best-selling crime novels. This guy is obviously named after Bram Stoker. I wonder if his middle name is also Bramwell. Now, this invitation is very fancy, and you'd think it would be going to Batman or Commissioner Gordon or someone, but no. Actually going to all the crime bosses of Gotham City. They all receive the invitation, and they're very suspicious, but all of them decide to go anyway. They all arrive in different cars to Mr. Bramwell's castle, which looks to be some sort of Byzantine monstrosity that he probably had imported from Europe. That just goes to show how rich he is. All the crime bosses are still suspicious. One thinks maybe he's called them there because he wants to put them in his book, but the others all know. He knows plenty about crooks without studying us. I don't like the looks of this. But despite not liking the looks of this tea party, all the thugs still walk up to Mr. Bramwell's house where he's watching them from his barred window. And he talks to himself as he does it. He's like, a stroke of sheer genius inviting those gang leaders here. They don't know it yet, but they're going to hand me a fortune. Not one of them is a match for me. Ah, so he's moved on from writing about crime to actually doing crime. In the castle, he meets the four gang leaders. Very politely, he welcomes them to his humble castle. Then they all sit down and have literary tea. The crime bosses are very suspicious, but Bramwell explains that he wants to get into good and proper crime now. He's all, It's very simple, gentlemen. For years, I've been outwitting the police in my books. Now I'm convinced I can outdo the best crimes you can commit, and I'm willing to bet on it. Now that there is a bet involved, all these crime leaders are much more comfortable. And they start mocking Bramwell just a little, but they pay attention again when he suggests a contest. Each gang is going to pull the best crime they can, and at the end of the month, after all the crimes have been committed, they're going to vote to see who did the best crime, and that person's going to get all the loot. I am a little surprised that Mr. Bramwell suggested this with how rich he must be, but I guess it's for the fun of the game. 
all the crime bosses clearly think they can commit the best robbery because they all immediately agree. And Bramwell tells them that they need some judges to figure out who did the best crime. They say that obviously all of them will be judges, and then he names four other guys to be the actual judges because these people are all going to vote for themselves. You know they will. And over the next couple days, there's a crime wave in Gotham City again. The Gotham Gazette, which still doesn't have its price, reports. There have been two crimes so far that we didn't get to see, so they obviously won't be the best ones. The first crime is about a warehouse which was daringly rifled, and the Gotham Gazette thinks it might be the crime of the month, but then, just a couple days later, there's another crime of the month that strikes crowded department stores. And then there's another crime of the month when we do get to see. The crime boss doing this crime is called Bright Guy, and he's gonna rob a bank. He does it by first going into the bank and pretending to be a normal guy. He does some normal bank business at the window while one of his henchmen follows along and secretly releases a bunch of mice into the bank. The mice run rampant and everyone freaks out. One of the women even jumps up on a chair and screams, Help! Mice! In bubble letters. And the mice is all scraggly, so you know it has extra emphasis. Now everybody at the bank thinks they have a mice problem, and the manager has to call up an exterminator. And guess who he calls? Well, it wasn't Bright Guy's gang, but they are pretending like it is. And just a few minutes after the guy calls, they show up to the bank with a big tank of some sort of gas. They tell the guard outside that they're the exterminators, and he's all, You certainly got here fast, but he doesn't really question it. Then they go inside and set up the gas tank. They tell another guard inside who's supervising them that this gas is deadly to mice, but not at all harmful to people, so they can just stay in here as long as they close the doors. That sounds kind of stupid. Mice and people aren't really that different. You'd think if the gas poisons one of them, it'd poison the other. But that doesn't really matter because it's not even mice poison that the guys brought. It's some sort of sleeping gas. Soon, everyone in the bank starts to feel sleepy, even the customers who are still there for some reason. After everyone in the bank passes out, the robbers come in with their gas masks on and start looting the bank. They get all the money out of the safe, which they somehow have gotten into, and leave as fast as they can because the real exterminators are coming soon. They didn't even get rid of the mice. Maybe the real exterminators will do that. They've also left a note in the bank that calls this the crime of the month. And later on TV, it is announced as such. This all makes its way back to Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, who are just hanging out in their house. Dick's all, I don't get it, Bruce. What are all these crimes of the month? And Bruce is already completely onto them. He's all, it sounds fantastic, but from the clues I've been able to get, it seems like an underworld contest. He takes Dick over to his big map of Gotham City, and he points at two places where the crimes of the month have taken place. He says that they were committed by different gangs, and then if he adds the third one, he's sure that the mobs are competing with each other. And the cleverest theft is to be the crime of the month, he says. The only important gang left is Slim Ryan's, and Slim never messes up on anything good. So that's the mob we'll watch. And he says this with the angriest expression I've ever seen on his face, even though this seems to be a pretty neutral statement on his part. 
I think the artists have just recently figured out that he has eyebrows and are now trying to use those eyebrows as much as possible, even if it makes him look extra angry sometimes. That night, Batman and Robin go out in their bat plane to snoop on Slim Ryan's gang. They don't even have to snoop long. Almost right after they get there, a bunch of Slim Ryan's thugs come out of their building and get into their little purple car. Batman and Robin follow the purple car out of the city. Eventually, they get to this highway where the thugs pop out and set up this giant sawhorse with a sign on it. It says, Detour, Highway Under Construction. Is that something they did in the 40s? Just close highways completely down instead of just turning them into fewer lane highways? Weird. Batman identifies that sign as a decoy, and he swears that this crime of the month won't be winning any prizes because he'll stop it right now. Then they follow the thugs off towards the detour, where they find this long wooden bridge. The thugs go over to the bridge with dynamite, which they set all around it. One guy has a detonator standing up towards the front of the bridge, and they mention that the armored car is going to be here soon. Wow, Batman doesn't even know what this crime is and he's still stopping it. And just a few minutes later, an armored car comes down the road. It turns the decoy sign and heads towards the bridge. Batman's all, only a few minutes before it'll reach the bridge, we'll have to work fast. And then he and Robin put the Batplane in stabilization mode and drop down on all the thugs who are mostly standing by the detonator. They're all, Batman and Robin... And then Batman starts beating them all up. He grabs a gun from one guy and starts hitting two other guys with it. The guy who he's grabbed it from is all, Hey, that's stealing! And Batman goes, And this is assault and battery! Batman, you're committing so many crimes! What would you think of yourself? While Batman is engaging the majority of the thugs, Robin goes over to the guy guarding the detonator. This guy, of course, knows Robin wants him away from the detonator, so he's able to stand in one spot and try to shoot at Robin whenever he comes into view. Until Robin grabs a tree branch somehow out of his sight and swings in and kicks him in the face with both feet. The guy goes flying right backwards into the detonator, and the bomb goes off with a huge boom. It explodes the entire bridge. Now the only way that those can get out of here is if they pass Batman, and he says they're only going to escape over his dead body. They go to rush him because they actually think they can kill him, but that's when the armored car arrives, and since it's an armored car, it has policemen in it. The policemen in Gotham wear purple uniforms now, but that doesn't make them any less efficient, and they and Batman easily handle the thugs. They tell Batman it was a good thing he intervened because their armored car was hauling a load of new banknotes from the Mint. This might have been the crime of the month had it succeeded, says one police guy. While the police officers are distracting Batman, one of the thugs, Slim Ryan himself, slips away from the crowd and runs off towards his purple car. One of the police guys tries to go after him, but Batman holds up his cape in the way, which looks very cool, and tells him to let the guy go. After that, he climbs back up into his stabilized bat plane and tells Robin to stay with the police and help them imprison the rest of the gang. He's going to go after Slim Ryan and find out where he goes. He follows him easily in the bat plane, very close by. It is a plane. I wonder why Slim Ryan can't see it. But he can't, and he heads straight for Bramwell's castle. He parks outside and runs right in. 
And as he goes, he says, The whole plan ruined by those blasted meddlers. But at least I'll be safe from them in Bramwell's castle. But we can all see he can't be safe, because the bat plane has flown over the giant full moon above Branwell's castle. Slim Ryan goes inside and starts crying the Bramwell about Batman. Bramwell's not hearing any of it. He calls Slim Ryan a fool and says that Batman might have followed him. But then he comforts himself with the idea that he's ready for Batman if Batman comes here. And... Outside of Bramwell's castle, Batman's getting ready too. He calls Robin on his little belt phone and says that Bramwell is obviously connected with the crimes of the month. And he's going to go into his castle now, so Robin better stand by just in case Batman needs help. How's Robin going to get to you, Batman? He's with the police. Is he going to run home and then grab the Batmobile, or do you expect one of them to drive him? You can't expect him to drive one of the police cars home. He's only nine. The police won't let him drive. But with all that prepared, Batman walks into Bramwell's castle. He's all, where's Slim Ryan? But Bramwell doesn't care about Slim Ryan anymore. He's already sent him back to his car. Then he poses at Batman with his arms up and his legs really wide apart. And he says, if there's anything else you want to know, you'll have to find me first. And then he runs away. He does have quite the nice castle. He's got manacles hanging from the ceiling and everything. Batman Shadow must think so too, because while he's looking at Bramwell, it's turned its head to look over the staircase rails at the interior of the castle. Then it and Batman himself go chase after Bramwell. They follow him into a room with only one door. Batman says he must be in this room, but when he gets in, Bramwell's not there, and the door slams behind him. Wow, Batman Shadow is all over the place today. It just can't pose with him correctly. It's got its head turned wrong when he's running down the hallway. It flares out its cape wide when he has his tucked in around him. It needs to get back on task. After the door slams shut on Batman, he can't get out of the room. And after a little while, he starts hearing machinery grinding somewhere in the wall. Something's going to happen, he says. Then the room starts getting hotter. Bramwell's trying to burn Batman alive. He's not actually. He started up an induction furnace that generates static electricity in metals. It apparently makes metals melt. Batman talks about how relieved he is he doesn't have dental feelings because otherwise his brain would be cooked immediately. This is wild. I have never heard of an induction furnace doing anything like this. Induction furnaces can heat metals, but like a normal furnace would. They don't just make them melt off people in room temperature places. And static electricity doesn't do anything to metals except conduct. And also, Batman, you know not all dental fillings are made of metal. Even back in the 1940s, you could get stuff like porcelain. In fact, if you ever need a dental filling, get porcelain, just in case. So even though this is complete nonsense, we're going to follow Batman anyway. He takes off his utility belt, which is apparently melting because of the induction furnace static, and throws it on the ground. Afterwards, he looks around the room to see how he can get out. There aren't any windows, there's no knob on the door, and all his tools from his utility belt are lying in a puddle at his feet. He's all, if only I could call Robin, but my portable wireless set is useless too. What a spot to be in. Now, Batman might not be able to call Robin, but Robin is actually getting pretty anxious himself. About an hour after he receives Batman's call, he's all... 
It's been over an hour since Batman called. Something must be wrong. He wouldn't take this long to get in touch with me. And he heads off in the Batmobile, which he did not have before. So I have no idea how he got it, but he did. He gets over to Bramwell's castle, I guess he knows where it is, and he sneaks in into what is probably the basement. It's got some nice vaults. Not any gothic vaults, though, which is part of the reason why I think it's Byzantine. Now, you might think Robin is going to find Batman and help him out somehow, but no. He immediately walks into a trap as well. This time, instead of an induction furnace to send static through metals, there's just a big metal rod in the room. He's all, when the doors closed behind me, I thought it was a trap. Isn't it? I don't see anything in here that can hurt me. But what can hurt him is outside. Mr. Bramwell comes up to him and looks through the big glass pane of the door. He points to this machine just a couple feet from the door and he goes, This dynamo is building up 10 million volts in that big metal rod near you. And when it does... Robin's like, oh, I'll be hit by a terrific bolt of artificial lightning. He pounds on the door, but he can't open it. And the glass is too thick to be broken. Back with Batman, he's in a similar situation. He has no way of getting out and the air has no way of getting in. If he can't get out of this room soon, he thinks, he'll suffocate. Even though the air can't get in, apparently sound waves can. Which is totally wrong. Sound can only travel through air. This is ridiculous. Batman can hear it, though, somehow. Maybe the door vibrates or something. It's Bramwell's voice. It says, And in a few minutes, that troublesome Robin will be nothing but charred cinders, ha ha, and you can't do a thing to save him, referring to Batman, even though we can't see him at all. It doesn't even seem like he's talking to anyone but himself. But this gives Batman motivation. He goes back over to his utility belt and picks up just the belt part, which is apparently not metal. He thinks to himself that there's no knob on the door because the metal would melt in this electric furnace. But because there can't be any metal in the door, there can't be any locked either. It must just be wedged really tight. He takes out his handy-dandy suction disc from the pile of melted metal that used to be his utility belt and hooks it against the door. He uses it to pull the door open, and then he's off down a staircase to save Robin. Bramwell's actually super surprised to see him, but he decides to take advantage of the situation nevertheless. He's all, Batman? Free? Well... See if you can save your precious boy wonder in time. Batman runs over to Robin's door and sees the electricity pole in the middle of the room glowing with electricity. He's all, hang on kid, I'm looking for the switch to turn off this dynamo. He goes over and looks at the device, but he can't find any off switch, so he just grabs this lamp from the corner of the hallway and spears it right through the front. I guess that works, because the dynamo turns off and then Batman smashes the unbreakable glass with a chair and pulls Robin out. After that's done, he and Robin chase Bramwell. Okay, I honestly have no idea where they could have been in this house because now they're climbing down the stairs again. Was Batman on floor three and then Robin on floor two and now they're going down to floor one? Before they can get all the way down the stairs, Bramwell sees them and takes measures. He's all... You two are harder to get rid of than a summer cold. But here's something that will warm your hearts. And then he sets the front of his house on fire. He must be using some amazing accelerant because before Batman and Robin even get down the stairs, the flames are taller than Bramwell. 
Now to show the most tiresome movie ever made. My crime of the month will be the social event of the year. Ta-ta. Then he leaves Batman and Robin to burn to death. Robin thinks they can't follow him through that fire, but Batman says that if they use the Batpoon, it will make it seem like, and then he and Robin swing through the fire, and he says, jumping through a fiery hoop at the circus. I have no idea how you're swinging there. You were on the ground, but okay. The two of them get out of the house, and the fire mysteriously vanishes, and Ramwell's vanished too. But he can't have gotten far. They were just a few minutes behind him, if that. Batman says that Robin should take the Batmobile, then he gets in the Batplane, and they go try to find him. In the Batplane, Batman uses its speaker to talk to Robin. He's all, there's not a trace of Branwell. He must have taken a private road through the woods. But I think I figured out his crime of the month. He said that it'll be the social event of the year, and I think that fits the Allied War Relief Drive that the society is giving tonight. And Batman says that the most tiresome movie of the year sounds really familiar to him, but he doesn't remember where he heard that line before. While Batman and Robin were out looking, Bramwell found his way to the Allied War Relief Drive, and he's giving a little presentation. The host introduces him to the crowd and says that He's going to do the guests the honor of showing them a private experimental movie. All the lights are turned out, the movie is put on screen, and the whole audience gapes at it. There's a really nicely drawn hair ornament flower in this shot. It's in the foreground, too, so we get to admire while all the people stare at the film. After a while, the whole audience starts feeling sleepy and drowsy. They don't know what's going on, but Bramwell knows. In the back of the crowd, he's all... Rich fools, my hypnotic film is putting them to sleep. Then all I have to do is rob them leisurely, order them to forget the incident, and then awaken them. Nothing can stop me. Nothing. But something can stop him. In the front, his experimental hypnotic film changes from just some white lines to Batman punching a guy in the face. I can't tell who. Maybe the Joker. It looks a bit too thin to be the Joker, but we do know that the Joker is very thin. This is something that's been established. Everybody looks up at where the movie's coming from, and there are the real Batman and Robin. In person, Batman says. Then they swing down onto the stage. Batman's shadow completely messes up what it's supposed to look like, and Batman beats up Bramwell. After all that's done, Bramwell's like... But how did you know my scheme? What made you bring another film to replace my hypnotic movie? And Batman's all, oh, that's easy. Authors often use pet phrases. And you used the most tiresome movie ever made in one of your earlier novels. It was the same plan as the one you used tonight. After they get home, Robin is all, so Bramwell plagiarized from one of his own books? Well, that's a pretty good ending for Crime of the Month. And Batman thinks it is too, and he tells us that Bramwell's starting a new chapter, and we see him in jail. He swears that he won't be kept long, but at least he didn't get the electric chair. Also, Batman, you have no right to say that after you keep plagiarizing Sherlock Holmes. And just last comic, you plagiarized Alice through the looking glass. You do have really good taste, though. And you put your own spin on it, so I can forgive you. The end.